0: Welcome on in to Studio Two on a Thursday. I'm Cherry Gregg. On a Thursday, I'm Avi Wolfman-Arendt. Busy show today,
1: Cherry. Very book-heavy yes. show today. Mm-hmm. We're going to end the show. The final segment is about books coming out in the early part of 2024. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk with Dina Halick, who uh, works at the Free Library of Philadelphia, is going to tell us about some titles to look for. Mm-hmm. If you're a fiction person.
0: I- I'm not, but you w- which know I'm what? not I-, I feel like... Well, part of our job is to, to, yeah, I feel like she's going to get us in the know.
1: Keep an open mind. Mm -hmm. Um, We read a lot of nonfiction for this show, Mm -hmm. which does crowd out the time for fiction. Only so many hours in the day, but maybe Dina can sell us
0: us. on some of these
1: these books coming out. And then the middle segment today, we're going to to discuss a book with its authors who are Philly based. This is a book about how to survive various types of calamities and I'm
0: excited about this you are and because we joke a lot and I always talk about that I feel like I would at least try to survive the first round of a zombie apocalypse right
1: you've thought about this I've thought about this
0: quite often and I've I want to know what do I need to know to make it to, to make it out alive yeah maybe
1: this is not the time for this conversation <laughs> yeah. but I am curious why you think about that a lot I will. you are kind of like mildly obsessed I am with this topic. I've talked about
0: it a lot we'll, we'll talk about okay. why but that's, there's a lot of reasons that's but, off mic but I'm excited the, the, about the book,
1: the book is called uh worst case authors, scenario yeah. survival handbook apocalypse the authors are Josh Piven mm-hmm. and Dave Borgnick. they'll be with us next segment Absolutely. later this segment we're going to talk with Tom McDonald you know Tom W.H.Y.Y.'s Tom McDonald is at City Hall covering the first council session of the year. But before we get into any of that, Cherry, yeah. uh,
0: let's talk about some headlines. Go ahead. Yeah, this has been a big story since yesterday. Police, they're still searching for Shane Pryor, the 17-year-old who escaped from juvenile detention center staff while at CHOP yesterday. He had been taken to the Children's Hospital because he had a hand injury and then he escaped in the parking lot. He had not been shackled or handcuffed. He was seen going in and out of nearby buildings asking for a phone. Now, Pryor's backstory is that he was 14 years old when he was arrested in 2020 for allegedly killing a woman and has been housed at the juvenile detention center. During interviews, Pryor told police he solicited the victim for certain for sexual acts, but the woman had been shot by another man. He said he was innocent and now he sort of escaped. His mother, his attorney, asking for him to turn himself in. Take a listen to his mom. He just was at the wrong place at the wrong time. There's someone else involved, and he's just scared. He's a scared little boy. He's been in there since he was 14. He's 17 and about to turn 18, and he's scared. He doesn't realize what he's doing. Yeah, he's maintained his innocence so far. His attorney says his client lost hope when a request to move his case to juvenile court was denied, and now he's making it worse, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, and we should clarify too that his mother is asking him to come. To, yeah, to, to come to back turn to turn himself, turn himself in. in. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also speculation, or not just speculation, um, a, official word that perhaps an accomplice mm-hmm. was involved in all of this. Um, we don't know everything yet, uh, as with any evolving situation, but we'll keep our eye on it.
0: Yeah, more information. Uh, will be coming as the day continues.
1: Here's something that's also been evolving, mm-hmm. Cherry, uh, ever since we started this show and well before it. Wind energy in New Jersey. You might recall that the Danish company Orsted was set to build a couple of wind farms yeah, off the shore of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. We talked about it extensively on the show. Then Orsted said... Uh, No, thanks. We're pulling Mm -hmm. out. uh, Too expensive. Not feasible. Mm -hmm. New Jersey uh, didn't love that answer, especially uh, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, who's made wind energy and renewable energy a huge part of his legacy and agenda in the Garden State. And so they put out proposals for more wind farms, and now they have unanimously Mm -hmm. approved two new proposals. This was approved yesterday by New Jersey's Board of Public Utilities. One project's 47 miles off the coast of Atlantic City, another 42 miles off the coast of Seaside Heights. Um, And this is all toward the goal of trying to move... Uh, New Jersey toward 100% clean energy by 2035 so two new big proposals yeah and we will see if they meet the finish line
0: yeah to me this shows how gritty the garden state is and how committed they are to this this goal by uh, Governor Murphy one of the the factoids that I was drawn to is that um, you know these two projects are expected to power up to 1.8 million homes create 27,000 new jobs and inject 3 billion dollars into the state's economy. So it's a pretty big deal for them. But that Orsted, I mean, we had it, it's been a very contentious uh thing these wind turbines. I mean, we had a, we did a whole show yep. on it. People called in, they felt some kind of way. So we'll see what happens with these two projects whether they'll actually come to fruition. Yep. We don't know. I but. mean, the the Cliche is once bitten twice shy, but not in this
1: case. Once yeah. bitten, and they're going in for they're another bite. For another so let's yeah. see uh, if these two projects. I also thought it was notable. Mm-hmm. Th- there is one project that is was approved long ago that is going forward, and that same company went in for these two new proposals, and New Jersey did not pick them. And I mm. think the implication, at least in the reporting by our own Susan Phillips, is that they kind of want to spread out the risk. Not it, yeah. be so dependent on one company coming through. And so now there are three different companies involved in three different projects. And if there are more projects, you might imagine it's going to be, you know, until someone proves that they can get it all the way through, they're not going to trust
0: any one company. And this is more expensive than the Orsted project Yeah, for ratepayers potentially. Yeah. Yeah. So we shall see. Avi, question for you. Yeah. How would you feel about jumping into one of Philadelphia's public pools in February?
1: How would I feel about it? Why am why am I doing Are you, it? Yeah.
0: Are you wild enough to do it? Yes or no?
1: Yes. I'm <laughs> so wild. <laughs> Gosh! I kind of, you kind one of, of, of those wild public radio personalities. Go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, the Parks and Rec announced that it is hosting its second Philly Freeze event, and it's looking for 500 people crazy enough to mm-hmm. plunge into the frigid Kelly Pool on February 24th. So you might what is add this? Yourself, raise money, raise yeah, awareness. This is raising money and t- for recruiting lifeguards. Ah, uh, okay. Um, you know, through donations from the people who plunge and corporate sponsors, the city hopes to raise enough money to help entice these new lifeguards for the summer and keep the pools open and as you know there has been a national lifeguard shortage and it's made things really hard in philly for the past few years because a lot of people don't know how to swim and they they can't necessarily pass the lifeguard test but you know they offer opportunities for them and they're hoping they can give them signing bonuses and if you avi (laughs) jump into a pool Uh february 24th you will help the, you help the young people, man. That can make some good help audio, too.
1: and uh, maybe, Yeah. Uh, I'll tie this back into what we just talked mm-hmm. about, uh, the chilly waters off of the uh, New Jersey coast. <laughs> uh-huh. One year on New Year's Day, I did run into the ocean right oh, off. Oh, you did the polar uh, bear? I did. I did off of the, uh, wow. where was I? I guess Ventnor area. And uh, it was pretty thrilling. You know, at Thrilling. the time it stinks, but then if you look back five years later and you go, oh, that's a nice memory. So, so you, this would be the same thing.
0: You like spicy food and cold water. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> go ahead. Okay. I'll go ahead to the next topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, Cherry. Mm-hmm. We already let machines do a lot of our matchmaking for us yes, via apps. Mm-hmm. But maybe, just maybe, we can export even more of the dating process to technology. Wired has a piece out today about a new app called, I think I'm saying this right, Volar, just Mm -hmm. came out in the US. Mm -hmm. It works like other dating platforms, you know, you put in your profile information, you get matched with other people. But here is the twist. Your profile gets then sort of spun off into an AI chatbot, which then goes on virtual first dates with other people's AI chatbots. And they have like little 10 message exchanges with each other, the bots do, and then you get to review the messages, to see if this is someone you want to maybe take it a little further with. Okay, Cherry. Volar, you in? I am not in. You're out. Let me tell you
0: why. (laughs) Because as someone who who had been on the dating scene and has used the apps, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you really can't even go on a first date, if you want to, maybe you're not ready to date. Maybe you really are not ready to date a human. So I don't think it's a replacement for the
1: whole first date. It's designed to, I'm taking this from the article. Uh Uh-huh to help people skip the earliest, often cringy stages of chatting with a new match. So just export that part of it.
0: But yeah, but it's that's part of it. You think that's the struggle yes, is part I, of it? I mean, you know, go to the, meet people at the pub, at the bar, <laughs> like, like, or just in sports, whatever. It's, it's like we have to go back to just meeting people right. and not injecting AI. I'm against it, but... Hey, whatever. I, I don't want to stop people from trying to date. So robot overlords,
1: get out of our <laughs> dating much. lives. Okay. Too
0: much. Now on to our newsmaker, Avi. Sure. Philadelphia's new city council. They are meeting for the very first time as we speak, and there's a whole lot of new in City Hall these days. Council members will be working with a new mayor and a new council president, and Kingada Johnson. Plus. Many of the council members themselves are relatively new to the job.
1: WHYY reporter Tom McDonald joins us from City Hall to discuss the issues and priorities on top of the agenda this session. Tom, it's great to have you back on Studio 2.
2: Good afternoon.
1: So, Tom, uh, we alluded to the agenda. What is at the top of the agenda as this session gets going?
2: Well, when we start a new council session, you have the priorities such as homelessness, such as poverty. A couple of the other priorities that are coming in, the new potential Sixers arena. Mm. I know you've discussed that on numerous occasions at Studio 2. And there's also talk about whether that will go forward this session. And of course, we've got a new mayor and a new budget and a budget's got to be done in the next several months just to make sure that everything eases right into the new fiscal year.
1: And what does uh, the process potentially look like for council Approving or not approving the sixers arena proposal in this session, like what are the steps that that might happen over the next few weeks and months?
2: Well, if you trust the process working <laughs> uh, you 've got uh, the council receiving an independent report about the efficacy of having a downtown arena. I had a chance to speak with Councilman Mark Squilla this morning. Nothing is going to move forward until that's done, and that could still be another month or two, and we're looking to see what will happen once that comes across his desk and everybody's desk. You know that's going to get leaked out at some point. We've also got a moving through of zoning bills, but that all will be possibly stopped when the lawsuits start flying. Mm. The anti-Chinatown group that are against this, you know, the group from Chinatown that are against this, Already had a protest out front of City Hall this morning, welcoming the council members as they came in the building, saying they do not want that downtown arena.
0: Wow. What a welcome on the first day Mm
2: -hmm. of the first council session. Um, I mean, there were about 100 people there. They had tents up because of the rain and they wanted to make sure that they were going to be a visual reminder every step of the way.
0: Well, you know, Tom, I mean, new council president, Kenyatta Johnson there. So many new members. I think 12 of 17 are either freshmen or fairly new to council. What will be the challenges? And I ask this with a Part B to the question, because, I mean, have folks really staffed up to get work done?
2: staffing is not a problem in city council. People, you know, city council's got a group of, um, how do I call it, roving staffers, Mm. you know, that are always Mm. available and around. And there are people who have moved from offices of the previous group of council members, most of whom ran for mayor. And there's plenty of people staffing up the council. And, You see a lot of people held over from the last administration. The interesting part about this is going to be whether you can find a group of votes in order to move this forward. Now, the one thing that we have to explore here is council prerogative, which is the district council member always has the ability to control legislation within their district. That's Mark Squilla. Like I said, spoke to Squilla this morning. Mm. But he also reminded me that at least once in memory, they have pushed something through with an independent at-large council member. And that's also a possibility. Mm. I mean, the people who want this arena want it really badly. Quick follow-up. There are
0: a lot of Democrats on council. Now we have two working family party members, just one Republican holding on. Will this be a council that will find agreement on most issues? Or, like in this case of the Sixers arena, could there be some, some serious divisions?
2: You know, it's an interesting question. Many have called getting enough votes to pass crucial legislation like herding cats in city council. And that's without the group of firebrands that are a lot younger than the old council members, not as much party affiliated. And, you know, on that Republican line, Brian O'Neill wanted to be marked as present this morning because there's a minority. But the minority is the Working Families Party. So he's the third party in city council.
1: Wow. It's amazing to think about. That is a WHYY reporter Tom McDonald getting us up to date on what to expect with city council this session. A lot of eyeballs going to be on that big building right in the middle of Philadelphia. Tom McDonald, thank you so much for joining us on Studio Two. Thanks for having me. So coming up next, Sherry,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: we're talking about this little book I got in my hand. It's called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Apocalypse apocalypse. written by a couple of Philly guys Josh Piven and David Borgenicht Mm -hmm. and um, basically it contains anything you would need to know about how to survive all sorts of calamities yeah and after reading it I don't know if I'm assuaged but I am interested to talk to these folks if you're interested in talking to them Mm -hmm. give us a call 888-477-9499 or email studio2 at WHYY.org stick with us lots to come
4: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. This
1: is Studio 2. I'm Cherry Gregg. And I'm Avi Wolfman-Arendt. And our next segment got me thinking, do I have the skills and know-how to survive a doomsday scenario? Climate disaster, mm. uh, even deadlier pandemics, zombies, mm. aliens. I think the answer is probably no, but these are some of the serious and silly scenarios we confront. In the latest book from a pair of Philadelphia-based authors, Josh Piven and David Borgenicht, the book is called The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook, Apocalypse. And I should say, it's sort of written tongue-in-cheek at times, but Mm -hmm. the advice contained in this book is actual vetted advice from
0: experts yeah josh and david came out with their first survival handbook back in 1999 right before y2k remember that this new apocalypse edition provides practical advice like how to pack a go bag it also has information you hope you'll never need like how to determine if the alien invaders are friendly or not yeah, that's a good one. It's right a tough there. one. You want to feel that out. You got to sure. feel that out. We asked Josh and Dave to come in and answer all of our survival questions and talk about the tongue in cheek book. Welcome to Studio Two, Josh and Dave. Thank
3: you. Thanks for having us.
0: And of course, friends, if you have survival questions, even far out ones, call us or email us. The number is 888-477-9499. You can also email Studio Two at org.
1: All right. So much to cover here. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was interested in the fact that the book very, very early on talks not about sort of like practical advice with what to do with your tarp or whatever, or or how to hunt a bear. It talks about mentality in the very, very beginning. Um, And you say perception of control is a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I'll ask you first, Josh, what does that mean?
3: Well, I think um, there are In situations that are really difficult and out of control, there are a few things you can't control, and one of them is your attitude and your reaction to things. So, you know, we always say, you know, keep calm, be prepared, have a plan. So, of course, you can think more clearly if you've actually considered some of these things and you have a positive mental attitude you're probably less likely to panic, you know, if you see the asteroid streaking across the sky, and certainly, um, you know, if you've read the book and done a little research, you'll know what to do in these difficult situations. But certainly, centering yourself and, and having a positive attitude and knowing that typically things, you know, usually work out better than you expect, uh, you know, this is always always a good way to start.
1: Let's keep calm and carry on. Although I have to say, you you mentioned earlier in the book about how, you know, human beings are very adaptable. and We can survive a lot. Um, but then I'm thinking, how would I keep that type of optimism amid the collapse of structures that human beings have created? Because in some of these scenarios, these are like sort of more self-inflicted wounds as opposed to an asteroid. So help me do that, uh, Dave. Like, how would I actually keep faith in huma- humanity's adaptability even as I'm watching uh, human society you know, collapse Fall in apart. on itself? Yeah. yeah. Give me my pep talk, I
5: guess. The pep talk, I mean, it's really about, about uh, remembering that uh that it, the 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 uh, antithesis of that is going to make you even less likely mm-hmm. to survive it's really just remembering that you're not helping anybody by freaking out you're certainly not going to help yourself you'll expend your resources you'll make mistakes you'll you'll uh you'll you'll act out of fear rather than intention and so it's really truly about uh taking some breaths um, staying in control and, and not panicking because uh, that's really when we all make mistakes. We know there's no such thing as rushing or multitasking. That's yeah. when we screw things up. And so if the world's falling apart, the only way you're going to be able to put it back together is if you put, you put yourself back together first.
0: I, I got to ask because I've been become obsessed kind of with gaining the skills to uh, survive a zombie apocalypse. But seriously... Do, do you survive, you know, a weather emergency, uh, an evacuation, all these things? I, I got to ask you, Josh, what made you say, you know what, it's time for a new edition and it's going to be titled Apocalypse. Here, It's,
3: it's going to have zombies. Yeah, <laughs> I think, you know, I guess the short answer is COVID. But even before COVID, we had we we knew that we want to do something related to climate change related glo- global catastrophes because mm-hmm. that's obviously on everybody's mind um then covid happened it felt like you know this is this is really different this time like this this is this is serious we didn't we didn't know you know what the morbidity was we didn't um you know it was all new to us this was you know this this first kind of really serious virus so i think during covid we sat down and we're like you know this this feels a little a little bad a little apocalyptic you know maybe maybe there's something here um, so we, we, we worked in you know, super viruses and things like that and, and, of course, some of the climate change uh, situations. Um, but we wanted to also give it the, you know, the, the kind of tongue-in-cheek worst-case treatment, so we also included zombies. And I think if you think of like a brain-eating virus or you go back to The Last of Us, you know these things, while they seem like they're far-fetched, who knows, right? I mean, who would have said we would have had COVID? I mean, it was just something that a lot of us couldn't have imagined. So I think that was kind of the impetus. And we, and we kind of sat down and, and did our usual, well, what are people afraid of? And, and that was kind of the, you know, the general genesis for the book.
0: And Dave, I, I, you know, there's so many movies and series. There are zombies. We have asteroids coming to Earth. Um, you know, we have blackouts. Um, one of my the movies I just saw, "Leave the World Behind," kind of crazy. Mm. Why do you think we're so obsessed with playing out these worst case end of the world scenarios in film?
5: Um, I mean, I think in times of heightened existential anxiety, these movies obviously become more prevalent, and same in, in the world of books. Um, but I I think it's almost a a, a response. To you know, it's a way to deal with these. If you if you imagine the worst, and then you see it playing out, or read about it playing out, uh, or do the research about uh, how it might play out, you you actually do stand a better chance of just again staying calm when things do go awry. You've you've, you've envisioned it. You're not just uh, obsessed and freaking out by it. Like I've seen weird way
1: that- this before. Yeah. Was this a comforting? projects Mm -hmm. to to do this for you personally?
5: Yeah, I think all the books have. I mean, I think at the end of the day, the the reason the brand has been around for 20 years is that it kind of low key helps people think and and know that there are going to be ways to survive their worst fears. It's it's sort of uh, a very positive message,
1: even though we're talking about very dark things. Okay, um, I did want to ask about some of the specifics. Sure. Just weird stuff. That stuck out to me. <laughs> okay. um, so there's a whole bunch of stuff in there about bunkers and how to build a bunker, where not to build a bunker. And then there's just like dropped in there out of nowhere, um, this anecdote that there's like already an underground bunker community in Kansas or they're, or they're, they're planning <laughs> oh, yeah. one. Josh, what is going on? The, well, there are already bunkers out there?
3: Uh, trust me, if there's a way to make a buck, somebody's going to figure out how to do it. <laughs> and the bu- there there is a, a subculture of bunkers, you know, you can, you know, starting at the low end, right? So it's kind of um, you know the, the the typical kind of just like like the, a three star bunker, <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly. The Four Seasons of bunkers, right? So there's the, there's the low end where you maybe be may able to get one of these things for like four thousand dollars and just bury it, and then there are ones that are um, disused um, missile silos that have been purchased by entrepreneurs and converted, and they have full time security outside. And you know now we're talking into like the seven figure price tags, right? Um, right. you know, so I guess this is maybe where the the techno technocrats or the <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world go and they, <laughs> so they buy these bunkers and, and yeah, they're, you know, a lot of them are in disused military bases and they're, they're fully kitted out. I mean, they have ventilation, they, they have food for, for years, I mean, multiple years of survival. Well,
1: can I ask you though, a follow up on that? The psychology of folks who are already kind of prepping. Preppers, yeah. Uh, survivalist preppers, whatever you want to call them. Um, like What do you think and I'll, I'll, I'll give this to Dave, what do you think um, draws people to that is it is it because I can imagine it might just be like a hobby and it's fun to talk about your hobby and do your hobby with other people that share your interests is it kind of just that or do you think there is psychologically something more to the folks who are really actively doing this work already
5: um I mean I think it you probably have a whole range of of experiences there right like people some people are just into the knowledge and into it, it, it makes them feel better to to know how to mm-hmm. how to build you know shelter, how to how to stock a bunker, how to um, how to trap animals, whatever it is, how to detect whether conditions are safe. Like this kind of knowledge is comforting, but then there are certainly people who are uh, you know a little more on the conspiratorial side of things mm-hmm. and and really just don't trust the institutions. That uh, you know the government, the the electrical grid, um, the the supply chain, and uh, and you know maybe they're right because uh, <laughs> because it's I mean, pretty mean inevitably they will be right, right? It's very so if you take a long likely, enough view of this. I mean, we are you know we are precariously close to midnight when it comes to a lot of this stuff. Yep, and ninety and,
3: seconds now they said yeah, 90, so 90 goodness, seconds. the doomsday clock. Yeah, interesting. So
5: hopefully, you know. One of the things we can do is is use the message of our fear and anxiety to actually try to move the clock a
3: little back.
4: Yep. Mm-hmm. I would
3: it, add the prepper, prepper mantra is kind of like fight club. Like if you're a prepper, mm-hmm. don't tell everybody you're a prepper because then they'll <laughs> know a you're That's a prepper and doing doing then doing you have a bunker in your backyard. <laughs> so, you know, keep it to yourself. If you
0: are just tuning in, we are speaking with Josh Piven, playwright, speechwriter and Dave Borgen Nick, founder of Quirk Books. They are the co authors of Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook Series. Their most recent is The Apocalypse Edition. If you have questions about surviving worst case scenarios, you can call us. The number is 888 477 94999, and the email is studio2 at whyy.org. I'll say that number again eight, 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 four, seven, seven, nine, four, nine, nine. So I'm gonna call her yelling at us, Cherry. Yeah, I, I see. <laughs> I, I, We're about to get to that. Um, <laughs> oh and I guess um, I was gonna set up, I, I guess we'll, we'll, they wanna get to more practical advice. One of the first things you start with in the book when you get serious is um, a go bag. And my other half is a Marine mm. and retired Marine and is very obsessed with this go bag. Tell us what should you have And you actually say that they should be packed. And then there's also, if you only have 30 minutes, Um, Josh, I'll start with you. What should we gather?
3: Sure. So there are some essentials, things that you absolutely should have in there. And that would include things like your passports and things that you'll need, like a list of all your passwords. So if you have to access your account, obviously, um, a portable battery is helpful for cell phones. You should also, if you can, keep copies of, of some of the stuff in the cloud, um, if you can't access it. So there, there's those types of things, uh, medications. Um, you know, there's more practical things that you might need to, let's say, like Heavy-duty trash bags to keep you dry if you're in a, if you're in an emergency evacuation situation, and obviously um, things like duct tape can 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 really um, uh, you know can really be helpful. Um, enough water, you know, if you can't, you can last a long time without food, but you should have, you should have some water, especially if you're in a, uh, in a dry climate. Um, and, and, and again, I mean, it's, it's helpful if you have most of the stuff already done, but we do give you kind of a TikTok on, you know, this is what you need to do in the first five minutes and, and to get the bag in there and, you know, don't make it like, you know, your, your four wheeled rolly bag. I mean, it needs to be a pretty, pretty solid duffel bag that, that is weatherproof, um, for some of this stuff.
0: And, and my follow-up question um, to you uh, Dave is we have let a lot of our skills atrophy because of our reliance on technology and so is there are there like skills that you think we need to strengthen um, and and this wasn't necessarily discussed in the book and, and Josh feel free to, to to chime in are there skills we need to strengthen that we've become weak in because we are relying on this phone and GPS and all those things that we would need in case of a worst case scenario
5: I mean yeah that's a great example just learning how to read a map and tell what direction you're pointed in would be a one thing there's a uh, one of our earlier books actually uh, talks about how to build a compass um, on your own using the, the magnetic uh, poles um, or just other indicators of where you are um, building a fire there are multiple ways to go about that but it would be good to familiarize yourself with that um, building a shelter, animal mm. trapping, um, purifying
3: but, water. Definitely. Purifying yeah. water or detecting purifying
1: yeah. urine too, right? That's mm. in the book yeah, as well. Yeah, if, you, if you need to drink
3: your own urine. <laughs> now we're really down in the, in, in the worst case right, scenario plug your weeds smokes, right, guess, right. Yeah. So, yeah, we have that, we have that as well. Um it's, you don't want to have it right out of your ba- body. There's a couple steps <laughs> involved. Uh-huh,
5: uh-huh. But also just basic first aid. You know, re-familiarize yeah. yourself with how to, how to bandage a wound and uh, tie a tourniquet, and perform a tracheotomy, like emergency CPR. These kind of things would be good to re-familiarize yourself with.
1: We're talking with the authors Josh Piven and David Borgenicht about their new book, The Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook. Apocalypse. Uh, you can chime in 888-477-9499, email studio2 at org. Comment here from Ken in Philly, who says, we need to become more self-reliant. Mm-hmm. We should all know how to grow our own food. That's in the book, by the way. And you talk about uh, some of the the plants that are best to grow if you really need yeah. like quick calorie survival garden. Survival garden. Yeah, survival yeah. yeah give us called. a sense of what yeah. a survival garden. Well, looks I mean,
3: like. I mean, so, some of it is right is based on climate, right? If you live in Philadelphia, or you live in Vermont, you don't necessarily have a 12 month growing season like you might have in Florida. So you know, we 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 delve into that. Um, you know, stockpiling seeds is also important um, if you think uh, you're going to need those in the future. Um, you gotta start somewhere um in order to grow your plants but um you know things things that are high in protein, soybeans and things like that um uh, you know I think Corn is another big one because it can be used for multiple things but there are different varieties of corn that'll grow in different parts of the country so um, you know we, we cover all of this and of course also how to do a composter and things like that so um, you know it, it it takes some land obviously so it is important to have land and we we talk about that too as you know one of those things you know if you, if you think the apocalypse is coming hopefully you have some land um, that, that where you can kind of escape to it's a good land'll be valuable after the apocalypse
0: and I want to tee up a clip because I recently watched this film starring Julia Roberts um, and our hometown hero Kevin Bacon it's called Leave the World Behind and in this clip it still th- it resonates with me because Ethan Hawke his, he's a he's in there he's a dad named Clay his family is on vacation when the country is hit with this unprecedented blackout and what to, appears to be some sort of radiation or nuclear attack and he's trying to get help from this guy and take a listen
4: the only way this ends
5: Is if you get back in your vehicle and drive away now. Drive away to what? All the roads are blocked. We're in the middle of God knows where. There's no one else around. I have no idea what I'm supposed to do right now. I can barely do anything without my cell phone and my GPS. I am a useless man.
0: But you are a very prepared man. And so ah. Ah, that's like <laughs> yeah. that line has I've been obsessed with that line because I'm like a useless man. And then this prepared guy. And one of the things you talk about is how money is not worth very much uh, that you it's need like kindling. to have. It's like nothing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can use it to start the fire yeah, that's right. Uh, when the world breaks down. And so can you talk about like some of the things you should stock up on and how they actually become very valuable? In worst case scenario situations, and you lay this out in the book,
5: yeah. We do have a list of barterable items, uh, you know, it, it but you know, it's going to be a little debatable what's going to be uh in demand. You know, obviously, supplies, you know, canned goods, um, probably alcohol is going to be useful both mm-hmm.
3: for uh, people
0: like that. solar Whiskey. chargers, things, mm-hmm. right? I mean, batteries, things, right?
3: B- batteries, of course, radios, flashlights. Uh, you know, I do, I do think. Um, and I, had to t- I did watch that movie And that was like Ethan Hawke totally overacting In, in that scene But I you know it did It did I, you it's know, it you to me right. It did speak to me
4: I just
5: wanted Kevin Bacon to do the angry dance from Footloose <laughs> <laughs>
3: I thought that was going to happen but. Uh, Yes Footloose um. was some of our worst case scenarios When we were <laughs> what you, what when what we you in you high you. school <laughs> <laughs>
5: Hawk did do a good job of convincing him to help at the end of the day they both uh, right. Did, right well
3: and and guns I mean weapons they they do play a big part in um, in particular in that scene yeah. and i you know i I do think you know once you're at a point where your your paper money is worthless, right your gold is worthless because it's simply ornamental it doesn't really have any use, then you get to a point where my i I need a barable. Item. I, I need, need something some that I can trade, right? <laughs> yeah. I need some chickens, I need some batteries, I need, you know, I need this or that. You know, these these are the things that are going to c- become important if there's a true permanent right. collapse of civilization.
1: So we're talking about money, mm. and that's going to allow me to set up my clip for this yeah, segment. Yeah, set Jerry. it up. Yeah. So, this is a scene from the NBC sitcom 30 Rock, and this is a scene where it appears the financial system is melting down, so the executives of the General Electric corporation, gather in a room, and they pop in this pre-recorded message from the CEO played by uh, Rip Torn.
3: I'm speaking to you in the year 1987, but my message is timeless. Avoid the noid. We've all worked hard, but now it's over. There's only one thing for you to do. Go to your loved ones. Hold them close. Because in the end, and if you're watching this... It is the end.
2: Love is all that matters.
1: I'm going to be honest, Dave. That's me. I'm giving up. I, I, honestly, I, I think you have to confront your mortality sometimes in really dire situations. And that might maybe I wouldn't actually do this if there was, you know, a total societal collapse. But from my vantage point right now, that's kind of I feel like how I would try to process it. Be like, look. It's over, like Dave. Is that is that wrong? No, I I I mean that's another way to go. I mean, Mm.
5: I I, I, the Beatles had it right, right? Love is all you need. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. I mean we hope. I'm I'm with you too. I mean, I uh, as much as I uh, enjoy having written all these books with Josh and knowing what I know, I still believe in the goodness of humanity and the power of uh, well, my own. Ability to just identify the good people and convince them that we should help each other, that we're stronger together. But mm. uh, at the same time, I, I do sometimes think about, uh, you know, I, I did think about buying a gun during during COVID. Wow. I did not. I did not do it. Uh, so, you know, come come find me, guys. Just yeah. take everything I got. And uh, he'll be in his bunker. Don't worry. Be, <laughs> oh, yeah, the bunker. Yeah, He's got a million dollar bunker in Kansas. Yeah, I just don't really but want they to. Won't guns find, they won't uh, find okay. you, Dave. But I don't really want to. I'm not sure I want to live in a world where it is that dire and dark and people aren't helping each other. So I'm just going to, you know, let it happen if it does.
0: Hmm. And I want to read this email, this question from Sean, who says, in the event the U.S. was taken over by a dictator, Hmm. how would a resistance movement be formed and allow like-minded individuals to contact it? I mean, you kind of counteract it, is what he's yeah. Counter, is that was counteract. Yeah.
1: It said contact, but that would think.
0: But yeah. it's sort of you guys talk about how to identify good people. If yeah. you know, if you're re- on the rebuild side, you kind of talk about the psychology of good people and how to tell who's yeah. good and who's yeah. bad. Uh, could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah,
3: we we do touch on uh, um, you know not just if the world kind of devolves into into different clans, but also how to rebuild utopia or perhaps build, not rebuild, since I don't, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> um, but but just you know having um, having a society um, where each according to his ability and each according to his need. Right. It sounds like communism, but. I will say everybody has a role and, you know, you have to figure out what each person can contribute and then you have to be able to at least have some sort of um, way to agree, whether that's consensus or you have, a, you know, some sort of person that's in charge and, and, and people have put their faith in. But you do have to at least have a society where everybody um, feels like they're contributing, um, you know, based on whatever their skill is. So that is that is definitely one of the things that we talk about. Um, we don't necessarily get into dealing with dictators. I would say, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I would start with civil di- uh-huh. disobedience being the, being the first thing. But um, you know, I, hopefully we're we're not headed in that direction.
1: Well, so that actually brings me up to maybe my main point of confusion when reading the book, um, which is I feel like there is some conflicting advice about how to deal with the other people who have survived, and this really gets into some deep philosophical questions. Um, Like There's some advice that's like, don't camp too close to the river or the trail because other people will find you. And there's other advice like, but you have to find other people and try to band together to survive. Different sections of the book, you know what I mean? And I'm just like, it left me wondering. like It's like The Last of Us, right? It's like you're going to have different
3: clans that have different intentions toward you, I
1: think. Like, how do you deal with other people in a scenario like this? And what does that say about your own sort of uh, intuition about humanity? Dave, you want to? Take, a swing take that. At that one for the yeah. world. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, you just
5: it, you have to trust your instincts and look for the indicators that they're, you know, watch their actions, not their words. Right. Yeah. Um, you you want to be suspicious at first, I, I, I would say. Um, but if they're asking for help or if they're demonstrating value and offering you something of value, um, some sort of exchange of skills or exchange of support. Uh they're probably trustworthy if they l- are seeming a little bit suspiciously victim-like or desperate, but are not really uh, offering anything else of value. And they, and then you see them taking notes. Uh, <laughs> if you T- see them drawing ass. maps, journalists are very suspect um, in this scenario. <laughs> yeah. You know, they they'll might... be the first to go. <laughs> Don't worry, Abby. <laughs> <laughs> if they disappear for hours Get on to end that. to go report back to their other group, you know, yeah. these are things. Uh, to
0: and, and I got to throw out there because one of the things that stood, stood out to me is look out for the birds. You know, the birds tell you a lot. The birds the are birds. falling out, out of the sky. The sky. It, is good, it, is it is a good
1: yeah. uh, not, not a good thing. The, that's the authors of the Worst Case Scenario Survival Handbook Apocalypse. Josh Piven, David Borgnick, Thank you both for being here today.
3: Thank you. It was fun. Thanks. Be safe out
5: there.
0: Yes. Coming up, looking for a good book? Well, we've got some great suggestions of some new releases in every genre. Stick with us. Lots to come. It's the end of the world as we know
2: it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine.
0: Welcome back to Studio Two. I'm Cherry Gregg. And I'm Avi Wolfman, errant
1: Cherry. Yes. We read a lot of books for Studio Two. A lot of books. A lot of books. And I'm appreciative of that, actually. Mm -hmm. Sort of the show's helped turn me into a bit of a bookworm, whereas before I was more of like an article reader. And I'm enjoying that quite a bit. me
0: too, Avi. I mean, I always liked to read growing up, um, but never such a broad variety of genres as we get to read here on studio Mm -hmm. Two, but there is one person who is an even bigger bookworm bigger bookworm than we are Avi. tell me yes the bookworm in chief the bookworm in chief yes I I know Dana Halick (laughs) I know you didn't know that was your job but that is is now (laughs) I'm gonna take it
4: I might put that on my business card
0: and on the business card she is the department head of Phil Brick Hall, the Fiction and DVD Department of the Central Branch of the Free Library of Philadelphia. And Dina is with us today to get us all excited for some of the newest releases of some local and national authors. Dina, welcome to Studio Two.
4: Thank you. Thank you. There's actually so many good books coming out. I am reading into July already for this coming year.
1: Oh, oh, you get advanced copies? I do. Uh, I do.
4: Yeah, the perks are pretty great.
1: And do, do your friends try to hit you up for? Uh, they the ones do, you're... but
4: I'm not allowed. Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah, no, they give me the ARC and I'm not like, here, I yeah, read like... the No, they want you to buy the book. <laughs> absolutely. So, oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate your ethical approach to this. I would also appreciate if you could, you know, give us a few titles to really get us interested. And I know, for instance, that you um, are looking forward to come and get it. By Kylie Reed. And this one caught my eye. Can you tell us more?
4: Sure. Kylie Reed actually, her first book, which was such a fun age, it was long listed for the Booker Award. It was set in Philadelphia. She was living here when she wrote it. She is now off on her next career. But she wrote this book, uh, Come and Get It, comes out on the 30th. And it takes place in 2017 at the University of Arkansas. And it follows Hmm. a resident. resident, um, an RA, yeah, an right, RA, yeah. and uh, she's constantly hustling. Her dream is to graduate, buy a small house, and so the ideas of money are always in her head, and she ends up meeting this visiting professor called Agatha, and she starts getting in with her and agreeing to help her out with some ethically gray stuff. And so her, her, her kind of side hustle to get all this money to buy her house gets jeopardized by some odd new friends, an Illicit Intrigue. It's mm. a book about money and discretion, bad behavior on campus, Ooh. class, economics, race. This feels like a
1: Netflix series already. It
4: does. It really does. Yeah. So that's coming out next week.
1: Next week. Okay. Next and it, week. that's Come and Get It by Kylie Reed. All right. I'm excited mm-hmm. about that.
4: And the, there's a
0: romance book coming out from a local author it's called girls with bad reputations just the title right there yes I'm intrigued tell me about that this one one
4: is actually it's by Zio Aksharad who's the local author and her first book this is a second book but it's it's a standalone it's a rock star romance the rock star is a female drummer in an up-and-coming band and It follows Kayla, who is the drummer, and she's kept her personal life and her band life very separate because her parents are not um, down with the whole, I am a rock star. Ah. And she hooks up with a guy who's been falsely accused of plagiarism with sexual assault. It's derailed his academic career. And now he is the tour driver for this band on their first ever tour and the, the look on your face yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. so much has already happened we haven't even gotten to the plot yet okay the 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 plot is they bond, yeah. but they have so many secrets from yes. themselves, from each other, from the world. And of course, this band is becoming huge and the public eye is on them. And what do they do when all these things might start to come out? Ooh. Can they be there for each other or is mm. everything going to crumble? And it is a romance, so it is not a spoiler to say it works out okay. <laughs> Ooh, I it's like girls it. with bad
1: reputations, but apparently good endings mm-hmm, uh, by always. Zio Axelrod. Uh, as that, that a, a Philly writer. There. Philly yeah, writer. Yeah.
4: She lives down in South Philly. It comes out February 6th.
1: Fantastic. Yep. All right. I want to go out of Philly now. Okay. Um, for This is the one on your list that probably uh, most intrigued me initially. Okay. It's called Rental Person Who Does <laughs> Nothing, and it's by an author, uh, by Sh- Shoji Morimoto. It's a memoir. Yep. Uh, Rental Person Who Does Nothing is kind of like a description of what shoji morimoto has that's what he does that's what he does he became
4: famous online about two years ago he literally rents himself out to people and does nothing do you need someone to sit next to you while you're having coffee he'll do it do you need someone to wave you off at a train station he'll do it don't expect conversation don't expect him to do your chores for you. But if you need someone next to you for something, he will do it.
1: His service is his presence.
4: Yes. It's called the Do Nothing Rental Agency. Mm. <laughs> so it, How did I not think of this? This is a real thing. This, And so he wrote this book. Well, he, he's very clear that he didn't write this book. There were other people who wrote it because that would be doing something. And right, he, wait, didn't he did nothing. Do yeah. He did nothing. And... I picked it up because I thought this was going to be like weird, but it's kind of a fun premise. But it's actually got these really great in-depth musings on the nature of meaningful connection and people's purposes in life Mm. and Japanese society. This all takes place in Japan, uh, human psychology, but also the things that people feel they need to have someone else with them for. Mm. Like mm-hmm. a lady hired him to just be with walk with her to uh drop off her divorce papers, wow. things like that, and just having someone there, a complete stranger, allows them to actually do what they want to do with comfort.
1: That's it's so such a good book. It, it is such a good book, and it just shows you were such social creatures, you know, and that there's there's some things you just you don't want to do alone. Yeah.
4: He actually started doing this because at his former job, his boss kept saying, uh, you're so bad at this you do nothing blah 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 and he's like I wonder if I can actually make a living doing nothing <laughs> and, and that's how it all started that's a great hustle yeah that
0: is a great hustle and of course uh that book is coming out
4: that actually is out that came out January out. 9th what? so yes. if you're interested you can read it now and, and, we, we, only have a, yeah, it.
0: and we only have a couple more minutes Kay. so I gotta ask you to zoom out a bit Kay. um I'm not a big fiction person. I like the twists and turns. And it seems like you already, you know, you're into that as well. So you, your list is much broader, not just what's coming out now, but you have all your list is very long. You've been doing this for a while. In your mind, what makes a really good fiction piece of fiction?
4: I think for me, um, I, I am in some ways a little shallow. I need banter. Mm, I I need if you're going to interact with each other it needs to be entertaining okay. but I think it needs to you have to you don't have to like the character but you have to connect in some way to the character whether you hate them whether you love them it's the it's the ones that are like why why would I hang out with that person that's where I have some trouble but it needs like to those ha-
1: anti-hero type of books mm. or are the people are the people too boring I think
4: if a person's too boring, I'm like, yeah. why am I reading about yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you need to have, you ha- there needs to be something that hooks you into the character. There needs to be something about the plot that is like, oh, that's interesting. What happens next? Mm-hmm. On the flip side of that, I've read books where, where nothing happens, but I've fallen in love with the people. Yeah. And I'm like, why are you not real? Why can't you be my friend? <laughs> mm-hmm. What happens next? There's so many books where it ends, and it's not a series, but it ends. And I'm like, but I need to know more.
0: Are there any big trends in fiction right now? Because we just had a whole episode, <laughs> like a segment on apocalypse and end of the world. What's the big thing I, in fiction I would now? not survive an apocalypse,
4: no. No, yeah, no, I'm not uh, you. I'm with you, yeah. <laughs> You know, what I see at the library a lot now is so many people come in, coming in looking for horror. Mm, like, horror was never huge, and now it's exploded. And I'm not sure, usually you'll see that when things get really, really tense and horrible... In the world, people start veering towards lighter stuff in their books. Uh, The other big one that we've really noticed is dark romance or dark fantasy. Mm. Dark romance fantasy. You've put them all together. What exactly is that? That's when you get characters who are morally gray or not even gray, just morally black. But um, So usually... With the dark ones, people who you would not want to meet in a dark alley, but they are a romance interest. Interesting. And the stories go pretty. I can dark. tell.
1: All right, all you right. You know how to pick them. I just want to shout I out real tell. quickly. Yes. Uh, you also mentioned to us the tainted cup by Robert Jackson Bennett, mm-hmm. What Feast at Night by T Kingfisher and Women of Good Fortune by Sophie Wan. Thank you for all those suggestions. Mm-hmm. Dina Haylet, Department Head, Philbrick Hall, the Fiction and DVD Department at the Central Branch of the Free Library of
0: Philadelphia. It was a pleasure to have you with us.
4: It was so nice being here. Thank you. Well, that's it
0: for our show today. That's our week. Yeah, for the week. You can follow WHYY on all social platforms and download us wherever you get your podcast. Thanks to our producers, Debbie Builder, Paige Murray Bessler, Andreas Copes, Al Banks Engineer, Today's Program, Joan Isabella, is WHYY's Audio General Manager. From Studio 2 in Philly, I'm Cherry Gregg. And I am Avi Wolfman-Errant. Happy reading, everybody. Yay. And thank you for joining us.